0: Let's open God's word together this morning to Jeremiah, chapter 48. The prophecy of Jeremiah, chapter 48. We're going to read the first 17 verses of this chapter. Our text is verse 11. This is a prophecy of Jeremiah concerning Moab. Jeremiah 48, verse 1, against Moab, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, woe unto Nebo, for it is spoiled. Curiatham is confounded and taken, Misgab is confounded and dismayed, there shall be no more praise of Moab, in Heshbon they have devised evil against it, come and let us cut it off from being a nation. Also... Thou shalt be cut down, O madmen. The sword shall pursue thee. A voice of crying shall be from Horoneum, spoiling and great destruction. Moab is destroyed. Her little ones have caused a cry to be heard. For in the going up of Luhith, continual weeping shall go up. For in the going down of Horoneum, the enemies have heard a cry of destruction. Flee, save your lives, and be like the heath or the juniper tree in the wilderness for because thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures thou shalt also be taken and Chemosh shall go forth into captivity with his priests and his princes together and the spoiler shall come upon every city and no city shall escape the valley also shall perish and the plain shall be destroyed as the Lord hath spoken give wings unto Moab that it may flee and get away for the cities thereof shall be desolate without any to dwell therein. Cursed be he that doeth the work of the Lord deceitfully, and cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity. Therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him wanderers that shall cause him to wander and shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. And Moab shall be ashamed of Chemosh. Chemosh was an idol god. As the house of Israel was ashamed of Bethel, their confidence. How say ye we are mighty and strong men for the war? Moab is spoiled and gone up out of her cities, and his chosen young men are gone down to the slaughter, saith the king whose name is the Lord of Hosts. The calamity of Moab is near to come, and his affliction hasteth fast. All ye that are about him bemoan him, and all ye that know his name say, how is the strong staff broken and the beautiful rod?" We'll end our reading of sacred scripture there this morning. Prophecy of the coming destruction of Moab. Our text is verse 11. Moab hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither hath he gone into captivity, therefore his taste remained in him, and his scent is not changed. Beloved of God, it's sometimes difficult for us as God's people to know how we can possibly heed the words of a text like James 1 verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. Temptations there is trials. Divers means various. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How Lord can we possibly count that joy? Some trials are so deep and so painful, and you add other texts like 1 Thessalonians 5 to that, or in verse 16, the Apostle Paul exhorts the people of God to rejoice evermore, to rejoice always in everything that happens in your life, and two verses later in verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, really, Lord, in everything give thanks in the midst of trials and difficulties, even when the pain is great and the loss is so sharp and the betrayal is so fresh. And we stand here at the end of 2023 and the beginning of 2024 and we think of of passages like that and, and you look back on this past year, can I really do that? Can I rejoice before God about everything that happened in this past year? Can I give him thanks for all of it? And looking ahead to a year that is to come, it's a time of optimism, of course. We look forward with anticipation, what is this year going to bring? But if we've lived on this planet for any period of time, we recognize that every year going forward no matter how optimistic we might be is going to bring trials and difficulties too, and we're aware of that and can't somehow make ourselves unaware of that. Can we count it all joy when in the year that is to come we fall into various trials and difficulties painful though they might be? How can I rejoice in all of these things that are coming up ahead Well, Jeremiah 48 verse 11 will go a long ways to teaching us how we can do that. By comparing God for us to a winemaker or a vintner, that's the technical term for it, and having us compare what a winemaker does in making good wine to what God does with us year after year that he might make us spiritually into good wine sweet to his taste for his glory. So we'll take that up this morning meditating for a while on this text under the theme God the winemaker. First we'll notice sour wine that he makes then good wine that he makes and then His ultimate purpose. The point of this text this morning can only be grasped if we understand the basics of the process of making wine which really in its most fundamental form hasn't changed over the years. Yeast is added to grape juice and then the mixture is allowed to sit and ferment for a long period of time. But allowing it to sit and ferment is not the same as just leaving it untouched, because during the fermentation process the yeast that's been mixed into the grape juice starts to die off and when it dies it falls to the bottom of the bottle or the barrel and along with some other particles that fall to the bottom It becomes a substance that are called lees, lees. It's a sour and bitter substance that if left there at the bottom of that bottle or wine barrel is going to make the entire wine become sour and spoiled. And so after the first part of the yeast falls and the lees are settled at the bottom, the winemaker goes through a process that today is called racking, but in our text it's called emptying from vessel to vessel. The winemaker will carefully pour the wine out of the existing bottle or barrel into another bottle or barrel, being very careful not to disturb the lees that are at the bottom of that barrel so that the lees stay in that individual barrel are not poured out into the new barrel with the wine. And then in that new barrel the wine is allowed to sit and ferment for a time and more of the yeast dies and settles through the fermentation process and there's more lees left at the bottom and it has to be emptied into another vessel again leaving the lees behind and this keeps going on until the wine is perfectly aged. Aged wine is good, but it's only good if the lees are being continually removed. If it's aged by simply allowing it to sit there, undisturbed, the wine sits upon its lees and it spoils. God is the winemaker in the text. And out of all people's all nations upon the earth, God is making wine. Not only Israel in the text, but also Moab. Not only his own, but the reprobate unbelieving too. Two different kinds of wine to be sure, but he's making wine out of all peoples on the earth. Jeremiah 48 comes in the section of Jeremiah's prophecy where God has the prophet prophesy now not just to Israel, but beyond Israel's borders to the nations that are around Israel, marvelous testimony that God is sovereign over all the nations of the earth. He's not some local deity over Israel, but he's the God over all. And the testimony of this text is that God is making wine, not the same wine, but wine out of all nations, and God the winemaker in his sovereign purposes has allowed the wine that is Moab to sit upon its lees. Moab, verse 11, hath been at ease from his youth, and he hath settled on his lees, and hath not been emptied from vessel to vessel. Moab was allowed to sit. Moab was not poured out from one barrel to the next to remove the lees out of him. He's been left to sit there completely undisturbed. Jeremiah explains the reality of that picture by saying that Moab was never taken into captivity. It's going to be destroyed utterly in a little bit, and that's part of the prophecy too. But looking back in the past, Moab was never taken into captivity, unlike Israel. Moab had it easy. In fact, Moab has been, verse 11, at ease from his youth. The text says Moab was a close relative of Israel. They shared some of the same blood. Moab was a son who was born to Lot. You remember after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, Lot escaped, Lot's wife was turned into a pillar of salt. Lot's daughters, wanting to carry on the line of their father, got their father drunk and impregnated by him. And one of the boys who was born of Lot's daughters was this Moab. Moab went to live down in the southern part of Israel on the east side of the Dead Sea, a very mountainous region, rocky, region, lots of plateaus there. Jeremiah, the prophet, who's from Judah, which was kind of an elevated portion of Israel, could look across the Dead Sea, actually, as he grew up. And across the Dead Sea, which was at a low elevation, sea level, he could see the the high rocky area of Moab where its strongholds and cities were nestled there in the rocks. Moab shared some of the history with Israel, it shared the knowledge of Jehovah with Israel, and yet their histories were very different. Because Moab was allowed to be at ease and Israel wasn't. Moab had no disturbances. It's a nation that grew in wealth and strength and recognition from its origins, whereas Israel was constantly in upheaval. In fact, Moab was known for its stability and its wealth and strength. Its cities were these fortress strongholds in these rocky territories. It was very difficult to invade Moab and to conquer it. Verse 1 speaks of Misgab being confounded and dismayed. Misgab is one of these stronghold cities of Moab and there's other cities of Moab mentioned there in the beginning of that prophecy. Moab had great wealth too. In fact, one of the sources of its wealth was wine making, which is why when God says Jeremiah to give this prophecy, the illustration is the illustration of making wine. The Moabites knew this well, this is one of their Activities that brought them wealth. Moab was kind of like the Napa Valley of the area. And in fact, as an aside, a wine seal from ancient times was found in Moab that actually has this verse, Jeremiah 48, etched into it. Nobody knows how it got there, what its origin is, where it came from, but. It's there. Moab was known for its winemaking, known for its sheep herding, wealth in sheep. They were strong, they were wealthy, and they were left undisturbed for all of their existence. But this has not been good for Moab, spiritually speaking. The result of lying undisturbed is that she has turned into sour wine. She's been sitting on her lees all these years. And now she is emitting a spiritually repugnant smell and taste to Jehovah God. Verse 11, Therefore, Moab's taste, the taste of these sour lees remained in him and his scent is not changed. This terrible scent of the lees that are making her sour. The prophecy points out the reality of Moab's spiritually bitter taste and smell in verse 29, which we didn't read farther in the chapter. We have heard the pride of Moab, he is exceeding proud. His loftiness and his arrogancy and his pride and the haughtiness of his heart. The prophet Jeremiah is grasping for every Hebrew word he can find for the word proud in order to heap them up to describe Moab here in verse 29, and since there's more Hebrew words to describe pride than there are English words, the English has to translate all these different words sometimes just with the same word, pride, proud, lofty, arrogant, proud again, haughty, Moab was as proud as they come, arrogant, and this pride was expressed against God himself. Verse 26 of the chapter, Moab magnified himself against the Lord. Verse 42, Moab should be destroyed from being a people because he hath magnified himself against the Lord. How did this show itself in Moab? It showed itself in two ways. First, Moab became utterly self-reliant. Did not cry out to God for His grace. In His pride, he thought he didn't need a thing from Jehovah God. I can take care of myself. I don't need Jehovah's help. Verse 7, thou hast trusted in thy works and in thy treasures. And second, Moab's arrogance and pride, the haughtiness of his heart was manifested in that he started to disregard God's law and turned to the pleasures of the other idol gods that were around them, they gave themselves to Chimash, verse 7, and the high places, and the burning incense, and all of the pleasures that came with the pagan worship and the pagan way of life. And beloved, that's what's happen- what happens when God lets people sit upon their lees, and that's even what begins to happen to God's people. The lees here, if you haven't figured it out already, are a picture of the inner corruption, of indwelling sin, of the innate depravity of our hearts. And undisturbed, we start to become settled upon our lees spiritually, we start to become Spiritually complacent, spiritually unconcerned, spiritually indifferent. And it begins to turn the wine of our life bitter, sour before God. Allowed to sit in our complacent state, the lees of our indwelling sin begin to affect our whole life and to spoil our lives spiritually. Our prayers start to become routine, just going through the motions, vain repetition, We settle into a life of doing the bare minimum just sort of to get by. Our old man within begins to have more and more influence over our life. The the lees of that old man begin to affect the, the wine of our life. We start to settle into looking conforming more to the world around us. We start to smell to God more like the sour wine of Moab. Bad spiritual habits start to creep into our lives. Worship of God that used to be so heartfelt to the glory of His name is now just a ho-hum kind of going through the motions. Moab would settle on his lees to his utter destruction. That's the point of the text here. But Israel too could be left to settle on his lees for a time in spiritual complacency. Zephaniah 1 verse 12. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees. Jerusalem too for a time. And more specifically, I manifest itself in the pride That was there in Moab in those same two ways, doesn't it? We start to puff ourselves up in pride. All is going well with me. I'm undisturbed. I have strength and wealth and ease. I don't know what's wrong with you people. If you would just act like me, everything would be fine. I'm not sure what all you are doing wrong, but I have built a stronghold around myself, and no one can disturb me, and I don't need God. And then in that pride, we start to leak out beyond the law of God. God can't touch me. I've built up my stronghold around me. And even if he would try to touch me, I've, I've built up so much that it's going to be okay. And so we let ourselves go out beyond the law of God. Because after all, I don't think he can really get me. And things that we wouldn't allow ourselves to do before we start to do. Things we wouldn't allow our children to do or to watch or to participate in. We start to allow them to do those things. We don't deny ourselves like we used to. And we say in our complacency, Zephaniah 1 verse 12, the Lord will not do good, neither will He do evil. It doesn't matter what He does. He can't touch me. I'm strong and secure in myself. And it stands. It stinks to high heaven. It's spiritually rotten and sour to him. And he won't let it go on indefinitely for his people. He won't. He's a good winemaker, and he intends to make good wine with his people. And so he will come and go through this process with us emptying us from vessel to vessel. Isn't that the implication of the text? That in contrast to Moab, who was not emptied from vessel to vessel, Israel was. Moab hath not gone into captivity. But Israel did go into captivity. There's a word for Israel in this prophecy that is given to Moab. Israel's captivity to Babylon. This is what she must see. Her captivity is for her spiritual good. That captivity was God taking his people that were in the barrel of Israel and emptying her, pouring her out into the barrel of Babylon, removing the lees out of her and then emptying her over into the barrel of Israel again, removing the lees, spiritually purifying his people, making good wine out of her. Removing the effects of indwelling sin and the spiritual complacency in her. He disturbs her life just when she needs it. And not only in the captivity, but all throughout Israel's history, she's emptied from vessel to vessel. Her experience is very different from the experience of Moab, whereas Moab was at ease from his youth. Israel was troubled from his youth. Psalm 129, 1 and 2, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. May Israel now say, many a time have they afflicted me from my youth. And this was good for Israel. This was grace to Israel. And because He loves us, beloved, eventually He will empty us from vessel to vessel too. He will disturb our lives in some way, in small ways, sometimes in big ways, but He doesn't allow us to simply live sitting upon our lees forever. Eventually, He pours us out to remove the sour smell of pride and complacency and worldliness and self-reliance. Perhaps it's a sickness or the loss of a loved one or difficulties in family life or some heavy responsibility that he places upon us that is a burden great to be borne. Stress that we can't seem to handle, a confusion at what his way for us is with this thing that he sets before us, maybe economic hardship struggles with depression, problems at work, problems in the church, but he tips us over and he pours us out from one vessel to another vessel to disturb our lives. We don't like this. This hurts. It's painful to be tipped and poured out from vessel to vessel. And because we don't like this, And because it hurts, it's tempting for us to stand at the beginning of a new year. And knowing that year after year brings this kind of thing. To really, though we'd never maybe say it out loud, to really hang one of those cards that are set in a hotel room on the, on the outside door handle of our lives. Do not disturb. Whatever you do, God, in 2024, just let me sit. Don't disturb my life. In our weakness, we can get to a point where it's just fine for us to settle upon our lees. In fact, that's that's what I want. As long as things are Are going the way that I want them to go, Lord God. Then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. In fact, I'll make a deal with you, God, at the beginning of this year, okay? I'll I'll do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'll go to church, I'll pray, I'll read the Bible at family devotions. I'll I'll go through all of these motions. I'll do all the things. I'll write the check for church. That's my side of the bargain. And your side of the bargain is you honor that do not disturb card that I put on the outside of the door of my life. You leave me and my family alone. Don't unsettle us. And that's how we'll go forward in this year, okay? And I don't care. I don't care if it's really not good for me spiritually, that's what I want. And sometimes if we're honest, that's really the chief prayer and desire of our hearts as we look ahead. But he doesn't honor that prayer. And he won't grant us that request because he's a good winemaker and he will empty us from vessel to vessel. He will disturb us, to purify us, to keep religion and our relationship to him heartfelt and real, to give humility, to humble our pride, to renew a sense of dependence upon him, to awaken us to carefulness in the Christian life, to remove the idols of our life out of us. Isn't this always our experience? It's what David testified to in Psalm 30. In my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. When I've built everything up around me, where it seems I have made for myself a stronghold in the rocks. To the point where I say to God, you can't touch me. I become so self-reliant. I hardly even think I need him. And then a few verses later in the psalm, thou didst hide thy face and I was troubled, so that I cried to thee, O Lord. To thee, O Lord, I made my supplication. He disturbs our stronghold, empties us from vessel to vessel so that our cries out to him are real and heartfelt. What about what we just sung not that long ago? Affliction hath been for my profit that I might not sin against thee. He does this, beloved, in love, in His grace, and mercy. He does it again and again. He ages us in the wine that He's making. Good wine is aged wine, but that's not the same as wine that's simply left undisturbed, never touched. And so throughout this life, as He's aging this wine, He's constantly emptying us from vessel to vessel to grow us in our relationship to him. And he's, he's perfect at it. He knows just when to empty the vessel into another barrel and for how long. And the key for us is to see that this is grace to us, that this is love for us to see that it would be the worst thing for us if he honored our do not disturb sign that we set on the door of our room. That it's worse to be left to settle upon our lees than it is to be emptied from vessel to vessel. Though it disturbs our life, was he being gracious to Moab to let him sit from his youth? Their ease was not grace, it hardened their hearts, But it was mercy to Israel to be poured out from barrel to barrel. Don't look at the trials God sends upon your life as the wrath of God, beloved. Don't fall the temptation to cry out to Him and say, He's against me. He must be against me because this is happening. Absolutely not. It's the opposite. This is his, His goodness to you and to me. He's drawing you near to Him. He's making you into good wine for His glory. It's love for you. You see, there isn't a single one of us who can avoid becoming somewhat spiritually sour if we're left to sit upon our leaves. Not one of us, not the holy of us can completely avoid it. Maybe some more than others can avoid it, but not completely. No one of us can stop it from happening utterly, unless we are emptied from vessel to vessel. There might be different lengths of time between different of us, but eventually we start to sour spiritually. All of us need this, all of us, if we're going to be sweet wine to his taste. That's why what Paul says is true always, across the board, we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. God's goal with his people is different than it is with Moab, you see. Moab can be left to settle upon his lees. God's eternal purpose with Moab is to pour him out on the ground a manifestation of his justice. Verse 12, the verse after our text, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send unto him wanderers, that is, wandering winemakers, that shall empty his vessels and break their bottles. In other words, God is saying, Moab is not going to be emptied from vessel to vessel, but Moab is going to be emptied from vessel to ground. What do you do with sour wine? You pour it down the drain. You pour it onto the ground. So God will deal with Moab. Don't envy Moab who has been at ease from his youth. Don't say, if only my life could be like that. Before his children, beloved. His goal, his purpose is to drink them in. In sweet communion and fellowship. To bring them close to himself and so to produce in them a taste that is marvelous to him. More and more through our life until in the final day he empties us from barrel or bottle into his own wine glass. One last time to remove the final leaves that are there, all forever removed, so that in the moment of death, he drinks us in and we are come so close to him Each one of us made into a a marvelous glass of wine. Each a different note as he's created us with individuality. Some with a little bit of an oaky taste. Some with a bit of a peach. Some a taste of almond or pepper. But all of us perfect to his smell and taste. And he'll drink them in and fellowship with himself. And it will be our greatest joy, the chief end of man, that we will reach at that point to our delight, to His delight, to the praise of the glory of His wisdom and grace. It's all love, beloved. It's love. So you see, this is how we can count it all joy. This is how we can rejoice evermore. This is how we can give thanks in everything even if sometimes it's through tears. This is how at the beginning of this year we can take off that plastic do not disturb sign and put something else on the door handle of our life. God, I trust you. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. In this year and in the years to come. Amen. Father in heaven, grant us these graces. And strengthen us, O Lord. For the glory of thy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.